0: Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see your eyes. <laughs> so this this has been a season that we as uh church leadership but especially Lisa and I have felt like we have to learn how to pray as we face things that render us powerless things that control us instead of controlling us being able to control I mean it's frustrating today that you have to sit like this I want COVID to be cursed and go back to hell you know I want to be able to say, like Jesus did to the fig tree, wither up and die, and it dies. And Jesus said, the things I do, you shall do. Even greater things than these, because I go to the Father. So there's something of a disconnect between our access in prayer and what we're actually accomplishing through prayer. And one of the things that I've been talking about during this series is Many of us, all we know is, let's pray about things. So somebody says something to you, and you say, well, I'll pray for you, I'll pray about it for you. But we don't really seem to know how to bring things about by our prayers. And I think part of it is because we haven't really understood what are the determining factors that bring about extraordinary answers to prayer. The Apostle Paul saw extraordinary answers to prayer. So each week, we are going into his prayers that he prayed. Now, how do I know that he saw extraordinary answers? Because 2,000 years later, we have the letters where he wrote the prayers. You can't remember what you prayed yesterday. And yet, the Apostle Paul's prayers have been recorded for us and have been being answered for almost 2,000 years. The thing I want to focus on today is this. It's the character of the person praying that is one of the main determining factors of how extraordinary the answers are. Think about it this way. If you were a person with no strength, no muscles, but you had to pick up 200 pounds, of some kind of burden or some kind of weight whatsoever but you had no muscle you had no strength then it wouldn't matter how intentional you were or how needy it was to move that 200 pounds you would be unable to do it the same is true in the spiritual realm when you are facing huge barriers but you have no spiritual strength you have no faith muscles then you will not be able to move those barriers by your prayers. My, my teacher in prayer used to say it this way, we want million-dollar answers when we pray nickel prayers. And one of the reasons is often we wait till we're in crisis to pray. We wait till there's more weight than we can carry. We wait until there's something so valuable at stake that finally we pray. So we pray as a last resort. So today I have a picture for you that I would like you to track with me. Prayer is really spiritual gardening. Or you could say prayer is spiritual farming, if you want to put it in that, those terms. Why do I say that? Well, because Paul explains... When he was talking about the work of God, he was saying, I planted, another person watered, but God gave the increase. You understand, when you pray, you are planting seeds in the spiritual realm, which will, if they are appropriate things to pray, which will yield fruit in the physical realm. So, The planting is your prayer life. But also the watering is your prayer life. Because if you don't water those seeds, it doesn't matter how good the seeds are. They will not be able to germinate and they will not be able to grow. But then the Lord himself is committed that if you have planted the seeds, and if the seeds have been watered, then he will bring the extraordinary results that you have longed for, that you have desired into the physical realm. Now, there was a man in my church uh, in Atlanta who was a very angry man. And uh, he one time didn't like something, so he was telling a story. He said he went to the, you know, the gardening shop and he bought an apple tree. And he planted the apple tree and he watered the apple tree Only when he went to go get an apple off the apple tree, it was a crab apple. And he was furious at that tree. I thought you were an apple tree, and all you give me is crab apples. I looked at him and said, it was a crab apple tree from the beginning. It didn't suddenly switch just to make you mad. That's what you planted. That's what you watered. And that's the fruit you received. Are you hearing me? See, a lot of us we're angry at the results in our life. But you planted a crab apple tree and hoped it'd be an apple tree. And you're disappointed. And you're and you're some people are even angry with God. I meet people all the time who tell me, I tried prayer, it just doesn't work. I don't get the results, so I just do what I have to do. Let me tell you you get a crab apple when you plant a crab apple. I don't know about you, but I don't want to eat crab apples. Right? And when I plant an apple tree, I want it to be an apple tree. But there's a second aspect of the. Are you getting my. This analogy is so good, you guys should just be going, oh, Mike, oh, Mike. But see, there's a second aspect of this gardening analogy. We don't live in Eden, we live in a fallen world. And so every time you plant a seed, guess what else is planted with your seed? Weeds. It's no, you know, it's not a coincidence that you and I live in Rockland, not Greenland, right? I can't dig in my yard without finding boulders just beneath the surface. In other words... It's going to be the character of the gardener. It's going to be the character of the farmer. That not only do you plant, and not only do you water, but you got to know spiritual warfare. Because the enemy is going to put the weeds where you plant the seeds. Man, I rhymed that one even. <laughs> i got to put these things on Facebook or something, you know are you tracking do you see what I'm saying so people say to me all the time oh I don't need to pray God's just gonna God's just gonna you know take care of things and they have this almost fatalistic view of God well you don't have a fatalistic view of eating it's just gonna come in my mouth no you realize seeds had to be planted they had to be watered they had to be harvested had to be brought to you I love the people who just live passively without praying. And they'll say, well, sometimes they'll say to me, well, the sparrows are fed, Jesus said. You know what? I've never seen a sparrow on a tree limb quoting Bible verses. But I have seen them diving for worms, going after food, bringing food to their young. You see, God is providing, but they're also working. God is providing, but they're also industrious. And if you want to see extraordinary things in the physical realm, you've got to begin to plant and to water and to weed in the spiritual realm. And one of the determining factors of that is really your character and your capacity. So what we're going to look at, we're going to look at a few things today. I have way more slides than I have time. But I want to start here because I want you to see it's not just the Apostle Paul. We're going to look at his prayer. But the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John are on the same page. Look at what John says in in 1 John 4, 19 and 20. He says, We love God because He first loved us. You know, we're not praying so that we'll get the love of God. We're praying because we have the love of God. He has promised extraordinary results. He just has said... You've got to take the initiative to plant and to water and to weed. So whoever loves claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. Can I just stop for a minute and and make you realize that one of the reasons the church has been so impotent in America is we have hated our brothers and our sisters. Because if you don't love someone who's your brother who's a different culture or a different race or from a different economic background or educational background or whatever it is, if your union with them is on the basis of anything other than Christ, then your spiritual life is going to be impotent. Because it says here, This is the command. If you love God, then you love your brother or sister. It doesn't say you love your white brother, or you love your black brother, or you love your brown, or whatever it might be. It says you love your brother unconditionally. You love your sister unconditionally. The reason I'm saying this is because this characteristic has impeded our answers. And we'll continue to impede our answers because we cannot, it says here, say we love God and hate someone else. And there's a lot of bogus Christianity that says, I don't hate anybody. I just don't like them. Okay, that's a lie. It smells like smoke and it comes straight from the pit of hell. You either love or you hate. There's no in-between. And so many of us have justified our lack of love on the basis of somebody else's behavior, color of skin, or whatever it might be. And God is saying to us, you want to see extraordinary answers? Then what you have to plant with is love. No limit. (laughs) Okay, you you didn't run out of the room, so I'm going to keep going. So here, Carson, uh, a professor by the name of D.A. Carson, wrote a great book on praying with Paul. And he wrote this, and he says, While love for God and love for brothers and sisters must not be equated, there is an important sense in which the latter can be, the former can be tested by the latter. So we test whether we love God, by how we love our brothers and sisters. When we live up to that calling, we remember that in God's church, people do not set the agenda they are the agenda. This is so important, friends. Our allegiance to God and his gospel will be demonstrated in our service to his people, to those who will become his people, to all those made in his image. So what does that have to do with prayer? Now, this is, this is kind of dense, I know, and I like deeper things, but I think it's worth focusing on for a minute. There's a school of thought that treats prayer as a discipline in which to excel without consideration for the focus prayer ought to have on people. It encouraged prayer because prayer is thought to do a great deal for the person who is praying and devotes little thought to those for whom the prayer is offered. Or it encouraged meditative, contemplative, worshipful prayer on the grounds that that prayer is rightly directed to God. However, This thinking does not consider our attitude toward people or think through the place of intercession for others. One of the remarkable characteristics of Paul's prayers is the large proportion of space devoted to praying for others. Do you understand, this week, our focus is on your character. Your character is a determining factor in the answers you get to your prayers. But the determining factor of your character is your love. Do you serve others? Do you love others? How much of your prayer life is giving to actually praying for other people? Paul's prayers are primarily for others. This doesn't mean that you don't pray for yourself. But it does mean if you are filled with love for other people, you will pray for them and you will see answers to the prayers. Now, as we think through this, you begin to realize that before you can plant a seed, usually you have to prepare the soil. In my yard, it usually means pulling out a whole lot of rocks and some ugly looking stuff and then making it to where I can put the flowers in or whatever the plants are that we're planting. In the spiritual life, this clearing out of the ground for the planting of good seed involves two things. The first and the foremost of all of them is I have to submit to God even my desires and my agenda for other people. That when I am praying, like Paul prays, I want what's best for them, but I know who knows what's best for them. And so I submit myself to God before I even ask for anything else for other people. (laughs) I've actually heard people sometimes go, Oh God, please make my boss less of a jerk. (laughs) And though that may be true, it's really not about the boss that you're praying, It's about the inconvenience or the discomfort that the boss is causing you. So that's not submitting to God's best. That's asking God to be the means to the end which you think is your best. Then God becomes your assistant, not God. That's why many of our prayers are not answered is because God has not filled the job description of assistant. He is always God you submit to Him, He doesn't submit to you. Or else, you might as well quit praying. That's how important this is. And the second thing, though, is every prayer that we pray, we have to be examining our own hearts. In other words, to look there and see, is there bitterness? Is there unconfessed sin? Is there unforgiveness? I, I, I went through some really difficult times of some heavy personal attacks in my life. And, and when I first started having this happen, it was such a shock to me that I went to God and I said, okay, your word says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. So I said, I'm going to bless them, Lord. Right, Lord, I bless them to be caught in their sin and to have all judgment come upon them. Some of you are going to use that. I'm saying it doesn't work. You understand? I was coming with such anger and such hurt. And though I was using the word bless, I was really saying, Oh Lord, take down thy holy hand grenade and cause them to snuff it, you know? Because I was angry. So you cannot pray for other people when you're bitter. It's interesting. I've heard people that pray for their spouses. Oh, Lord, please make them nice to me. Please make it to where they do everything I want them to do. You know, those kind of those kind of very selfish requests because they're hurt. And they want God to be the bodyguard. Or they want God to be the bully who turns the person, you know, that's against you into being a person that's for you. I've actually seen husbands and wives who fasted and prayed a list of demands that God had to do to change their spouse. Never recognizing that they were doing it out of bitterness, out of hurt, out of unforgiveness. So you can see how many of our prayers are not answered because our prayers either put God as our assistant and our agenda first, or they come out of our own hurt, our own bitterness, and our own agendas. And so, what we have to do is we have to first begin to deal with the soil. Deal with the soil. Now, here's, here's, may you track them with me on this? See, here's the wonderful thing is sometimes you are in a family where soil has been prepared for generations. And so it's much easier. But sometimes you're the first generation that's going to pray. And sometimes it feels like you're all alone, you're the only farmer. You're the only gardener. But God knows exactly where you are, and He's the one that chose you to start a new generation of righteousness. And it only takes two of us to change the world. Scripture says if any two of you agree is touching anything, your Father will do it. It just takes two. That's why Satan divides husband and wife so they don't pray. Because he knows if the two gather in unity, he, he's, he's lost his grip. That's why he divides churches. Because he knows if just two of us can agree. Because that's a miracle. Getting two people to agree. It's like 40 people in here, there's 80 opinions. But when we begin to submit and we begin to prepare the ground, what happens is we start to see remarkable answers. Why am I saying that? Because guess this is God's promise. You plant, you water, you weed, he brings the increase. So here's our prayer for this week. It's Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians. Can you see it well enough to read it with me out loud? Let's do that. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Let me remind you again that the church at Thessalonica was a very unusual story. Paul only was allowed to be there for three weeks. The conflict and the opposition to the gospel in Thessalonica was violent. They came after him with a mob. They made sure that he got out of town. But here in the space of three weeks, this amazing thing happened. And it's doubly amazing when you start to think about the context here. Here is an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. He comes into what he would have called a heathen or pagan city. And he goes into the synagogue and he leads other Jewish Orthodox devout followers into a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. At the same time, a church forms that's not just Jewish, but is filled with Gentile believers, other races, other cultures. There were economic There were those who had been slaves, those who were maybe even still slaves. And there were these rich Greek women who offered their houses as the place for the church to meet. So in the course of a very short amount of time, this miracle church sprung up. Then Paul had to leave. So he's loved them as a pastor. He has longed to see them. And he is concerned for them. Think about it. They have no Bible. They don't have Facebook Live and hear devotions every morning, you know? There was nothing for them in terms of the usual resources. And yet, who was superintending the work? The Holy Spirit. But who was praying the work? The Apostle Paul. And... Here we are, almost 2,000 years later, and his prayers were answered. And now we're the ones praying that prayer. You see what God can do? If you and I will just take this prayer burden seriously. You want to see remarkable things in the physical realm? Then you've got to begin to be remarkable in the spiritual realm. And one of the determining factors, friends one of the determining factors is your character. It's your character. See, Paul's Paul's prayer life was shaped by his character. And he said that the results that he saw of churches being made, you know, living and, and healthy and flourishing with the gospel in these pagan cities was on the basis of his prayer life. His results came from his prayer life. But his prayer life was shaped by his heart, by his character. And so what we began to see something is of how deeply Paul allows his emotional life to be a part of his prayer life. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.17, Paul's deep concern for these believers causes him pain. And it says, he writes, Brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. This is how much emotionally he's giving himself to these other believers in love for them and how much he is counting on his prayers because he can't be there in person. He's counting on his prayers to do what his voice cannot and what his presence cannot. Think about how many things in your life that you do not have the ability to make happen. But Paul's saying by his prayer life, it can be even more powerful than by your voice. By his prayer life, it can be even more powerful than your presence. Well, he has that kind of character. And I believe you and I can begin to have this kind of character. This, is, this has been one of the most convicting series I've ever done about my prayer life. I, I spent almost a month preparing this and preparing the workbook. And every day I was like, Lord, Paul's prayer life... Is almost overwhelming to me of how, how different it is than mine. And I began to get convicted, but I also began to get confidence that God was giving us this insight so that we could step up. God was giving us this insight. We called it power up. God was giving us this insight because he wants to give us the increase. Isn't that what Isaiah was just praying a little while ago? The more in the increase, the more. And that's the promise of God. But what's your requirement in that? To plant, to water, and to weed. Well, what kind of people can do that? So here, here is, the, the I would call them the elements of his character that made all the difference to the response. The first is this. He is so committed to the well-being of other Christians. He's so committed Do you understand? That's so different from most of our prayers. We commit, but we're not committed. We'll say, I'll pray about this, but we don't pray much. And we don't pray long. So I was thinking about this whole garden illustration. There's a tradition that our family does, is that Mother's Day is plant Lisa's flowers day. It was a lot easier when there were two kids at home. Now it's Mike plants Lisa's flower day. And this is what she loves for Mother's Day. She buys all those flowers that, you know, can be planted in that early spring. And I go out there, and I, you know, I, I dig them all up, plant them, and do all of this kind of thing, you know. But don't tell Lisa this, Okay. That's my only commitment to those flowers. You understand? I dug them up, I planted them. I see weeds coming up. That's your job, baby. You know, it's you, and you know, you got to you got to water those things. You know, and you got to water them at the right time. You can't water them at 12 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon when it's hot cuz the water's going to dissipate. So, you gotta get up in the morning and water them. You gotta get up, go out there at night and water them. And she'll say, Oh, honey, I can't water them today. Will you water them? I go, (laughs) Because I'm not committed to the flowers. I'm committed to Lisa being happy with me because I bought the flowers and I planted the flowers. And I expect a lot of points for that. But I don't care about the weeds. I don't really want to water them. I don't care if they die. I really don't care. I'm telling you. I mean, why am I telling you this? Because that's the way most of us pray. Yeah, we'll plan it. Oh, that'd be a good thing to pray about. Man, you know, I'll pray once. I'll pray a little. But we're not committed. You understand what Paul is saying here? He is so committed to the well-being of other Christians that he burns inside. Can I just say it this way? You plant, but you water with your tears. And if you're not watering with your tears, in many ways, something's wrong. Like if it doesn't break our heart that we have a nation divided by race, divided by economics, divided by whatever is going on that's polarizing our nation, if it doesn't break our hearts, then we're not really going to pray in a way that's going to water the seed of God's love. You know, I, am I making sense to you? Yes. I will not just simply pray for people who are sick. I won't do that. I'll say, Lord... How committed do I need to be? How committed in terms of my prayer? And there are some of you in this room who you have my prayers every single day at six o'clock in the morning. Because I know no other way. I, I can't just say, "Here, let me give you one of my best prayers." Because the, the pattern isn't once and done. The pattern is plant and water and weed. And that requires commitment. See, my poor wife, she knows I don't have that commitment because I want to sell our house and live in a condo so I never have to do flowers again. <laughs> you understand? Do you understand what I'm saying? If you have that kind of commitment, you will not see those kinds of extraordinary results. And there have been times when I'm praying for somebody and he says, it's time for me to take them home. And it's not that I don't believe in healing. It is a simple thing, even as we face COVID-19, that you're not going to die one day before God has ordained for you to die. You won't live a day beyond the day that the the Lord has ordained. That is his area of control. So live till the day he takes you home and not in fear of that day. But the problem for many of us is we don't know that we need to be committed And not just to our own well-being, but to the well-being of others. You see, if you love God, you'll begin to have capacity to care deeply for the well-being of other Christians, especially. And so what Paul shows us here is that his prayers came out of a character of passion. He was passionate. He was emotional. See, I grew up in... I grew up in the Presbyterian church, and there are a lot of great things about the churches that I grew up in. But they were known as the chosen frozen. (laughs) Or the frozen chosen, whichever one, I don't know. And and what it meant was this. There There was a high regard for God, but a low regard for emotion. A high regard for the idea of God, a low regard for the passion for God. And so I went to prayer meeting every Wednesday night in the church that I grew up in. And if anybody got emotional, somebody would take them aside and say, we don't act like that. Or, you know, they'd give it to them subtly. But they would make sure these emotions and these passions are not appropriate. And yet here Paul, here how passionate he is, he gives a description of his passionate heart. In 2 Corinthians 11, he says, Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? You know, I've seen people who I love come into the snare of the enemy. And as I'm praying, I'm not praying angry at them, but I do get angry at the enemy. And I begin to burn inside. Because we're not warring against flesh and blood. We're warring against principalities and powers and, and and dark forces, the scripture says. And so you cannot just simply be a person that says, well, that's the way it is. That's the way it's going to be. No, you have to be a person that says, hey, a weed has gotten in my garden. And I'm going to come and I'm going to dig that weed up. And you know, I'm lazy sometimes in the garden, and I'll take the clippers and clip the wheat. Which is really stupid, because that means it'll just keep growing, right? And what I find with a lot of people is they're like, oh, let's just deal with the symptoms. No, friends, we got to go down to the root and take the weed up by the root and get rid of it. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. But you see, you're not going to see those kind of victories if you don't plant water, I'm sorry, for some reason, you guys are the ones I'm talking to today. I don't know why I'm not talking to you guys. I guess I'm right-handed, I don't know. Sorry about that. So, all right, I hear the music, so I gotta, I gotta talk fast. All right, so the last one that I wanna, I wanna share with you of his characteristics that made for remarkable answers is this, Paul's prayer arises not only out of his passion, but his passionate affection. In other words, he took his passion and he focused it on on what was good for others. You see, it's not just that you're weeping all over the place and you're, you're emotional all over the place. You take your passion and you make it a focus and you make that focus be the good and the greatness of others. Think about that as a parent that your passion wouldn't be, oh, I'm so upset my child's not like this, but your passion would be affection for them that says, I'm seeking their good in prayer. And I'm, I'm, I'm planting seeds and I'm watering them and I'm weeding them and God, you're gonna give the increase. It'd be the same for your spouse, the same for your employees or your employer, whoever it is, but you take that passion and you make it a laser focus on their good. Look, you have more spiritual, spiritual passion than you know. But the question is, will you focus that spiritual passion on what will make transformation in your world? I was leading a prayer meeting. I've told some of you about this before. I was leading a prayer gathering of leaders. And people began to get very transparent. They began to weep. They began to confess sin. They began to really go on their faces before god and one of the pastors didn't like it he said we don't need this much emotion we don't need to have this kind of prayer passion he said i read my bible every day i have my prayer list i pray it that's what i do." a few months later i heard that he had left his church he had left his wife because his passion was for an affair not for god You see, you have passion. It all depends on where you focus it. And here's what Paul does. You see, he's not looking for their praise. He's not even trying to get their approval. He's not trying to get some kind of professional success and put it on his resume. He's not even thinking, this is really fulfilling to myself. Rather, he looks at it this way. He says, how can I be useful to you? I love it when people do things for me, but they don't know me. And what they do for me doesn't connect to me at all. Because then you go, what do I do with this? Like I always loved my mother, but my mother never knew me. So she bought me ties that I hated. And I'd go, mom, because she didn't know me. So then you're, I know you're looking at me and and, I'm a terrible son, I am. But it is fascinating that people in your life who are, in their, in their own minds, they're saying, I'm being useful to you, are not being not useful to you. Because they're not asking you what will be useful to you. You see, when you serve people, you don't go, see, I served you. No, you go, what did you need from me? What can I do that will be useful? Not, not so I can feel useful, and it be about me but so that it can really be about you. Now, what could save you a lot of counseling bills. And it also helps you explain why some people's actions towards you have hurt you even when they thought they were loving you. Because they were really doing it for them, they weren't doing it for you. And so God who has led us to study the Apostle Paul. Paul's not trying to do what's useful to Paul. It's not useful to go back to Thessalonica. Paul is so concerned for them that he wants to be of use to them. So his prayers come out of his usefulness to them. He's not praying so he'll feel useful. The same is true of this. It's a question of, How can I glorify God by serving people, not glorify me? Or not make it to where, you know, I'm appreciated. I hear people in the church all the time, nobody appreciates me, who cares? Now, don't get me wrong, I love to appreciate people. I love to thank people. I grew up in the South, it's in my DNA but really my appreciation is nothing compared to the father who rewards in secret. Do you know what Jesus defined hypocrisy as, spiritual hypocrisy? Is that when you want people to see how spiritual you are and how loving you are and how good you are, he said, then your reward is them telling you how good you are, how loving you are, and how spiritual you are. And he says, your father knows your heart. Do you understand that's why so many of our prayers go nowhere? It's not really that we have passionate affection for the good of others. We just want to feel useful, to feel fulfilled. So his love, the love that Paul shows us here for others, it, re- it makes us really clearly realize it's not about ego. Here's the thing I've learned. No one can keep me from loving them. And no one can keep me from serving them. But if I need their approval, then I limit myself. If I need them to say, oh, that was the greatest service of love anybody's ever done for me, then I'm really doing it about me and it's not about them. Because as far as I understand from Scripture You love your brother and your sister. You love your neighbor. And you love your enemy. I pretty much think that covers everybody that breathes. And when you love them, it's not so they'll love you back. It's because you've received the love of God and you're distributing it to them. And what Paul does is he takes that love and he takes that passion. Plants a prayer and then he waters it with his tears. And when weeds come up, he comes and he cuts them down and he digs them up. And for 2,000 years, his prayers have seen the increase. You're here today because of Paul's prayers. I'm going to ask Ashley, you're over here, Ashley. Ashley, will you lead us in responding.
1: Come am on. Um, I was thinking about this um, about a month or so ago. My husband's grandmother passed away. And when she passed away, everybody was telling stories about her. But one of the most powerful stories that was told about her life was how she had a room with pictures of the entire family on the wall. And every day she would go in there and she would pray over every picture. And the story that was told was... Um, how much we're going to feel this loss because we no longer have her prayers. And I thought, I want to be that kind of woman that prays for others the way Mama prayed for her family. And I feel like that's the call for the church this morning is would you be like Mama? Would you be like Paul? Would you look out for someone else? Because if we're all looking out and we're all praying and we're all covering others, that means that we're all covered. So would you stand this morning with me? I love the image that Pastor Mike used about planting for Lisa because I'm a terrible, terrible gardener. And my kids buy me plants every year at the plant sale at school and they last about a couple weeks. But I'm committed to my kids and I I love my kids and I'm committed to the things they do and I'm committed to the things that they give me. But I want to be committed to my prayer life this way. So if this is something that you want to go after with me this morning, would you just pray with me? Father, I thank you that you have given us a vehicle to bring your kingdom to earth. I thank you that you created the most strategic possible plan to have every single human being covered in love and in prayer. And so, Father, we as the church want to step into that plan this morning. We want to step into bringing your kingdom to earth. We want to step into loving others the way that you call us to love others. Father, would you take the passion that we have inside of us and would you use it for your glory and for your kingdom? I don't want to be passionate about anything else but your kingdom, Father. So, Father, I ask that you would come. I ask that you would stir it up within us, that we would learn how to plant, that we would learn how to water, that we would learn how to weed these prayers to bring your kingdom to earth. We give you permission, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you all for joining us this morning. It's been so good to see this part of you. And your clothes look fantastic as well. For those of you joining online, thank you so much for streaming our services with us. If you came prepared to give today, we do have an offering box set out for you on your way out. We're going to ask that you exit through these doors over here. You can also give online by visiting risenking.life. We've been so blessed by your generosity and your continued support of our ministry here at Risen King. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week.